All right, welcome to the conversation on TYT Network. Uh, we got a story of an emotional movie, it's called Us Kids. It premiered on Sundance Film Festival in 2020. It's gonna come out on May 14th. Uh, director and producer of Us Kids, Kim Snyder joins us now. Uh, Kim uh, also is the Peabody Award winning uh, uh, winner of the documentary Newtown. Uh, so Kim, thank you for joining us, we appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, no problem. So. First, uh, tell us about Us Kids, what is it? It's a film that is a three year journey in the making. Um, it follows, as you said, a film I made called Newtown. Um, and honestly, I happenstantially landed in Florida um, after having made that, that film about um, the community in Newtown that, that suffered that horrible tragedy. And um, I really set out to make a film about a nation of traumatized kids. I found myself in Florida by happenstance when the Parkland shooting happened. And I was on the steps of the, of the Capitol filming something else, oddly. And all these kids showed up from Parkland after that shooting. And I continued to follow them for two, two plus years. So it's really a film that weaves together the birth of, I think, a youth movement that was somewhat unprecedented around gun violence, but morphed into so much more. And also the underpinnings of trauma of kids around the nation. Yeah, well now there's studies out showing that 75% say of young people in this country say that mass shootings are a significant source of stress for them. So Kim, mm -hmm. um, those kids from Parkland, they fought back mightily and, and you track that. And some of the scenes in the movie are so moving. Um, when Samantha uh, throws up on stage, uh, during the the march, and then uh, and then she sings "Happy Birthday" to one of the kids who died. I mean, it was impossible not to cry. Um, but yet, for all that trauma and all those murdered kids in both Newtown and Parkland, we've basically done absolutely nothing since. So, how, how does anyone have hope? And how do those kids survive? Uh, you know, they've been fighting for change this whole time. We haven't gotten one percent change. Yeah, I, I share um, your uh, the tone in your voice in terms of. I mean, when I traveled for years after the Newtown movie, people would say if nothing was done after twenty first graders were murdered, you know, that was it. That was sort of the shameful moment in American history where we did not do what uh, people did in Australia, in the UK, in in lots of places after they suffered similar things. But having said that, um, I do think that the conversation changed after Newtown and definitely after Parkland. And I think uh, in, in spending a lot of time with uh, my, my friends in the youth movement, some of the hope is, on, is hyper local. I think some of the hope is in things that did happen on the state level and could happen. Um, we've been in conversations in the last uh, weeks with uh, the community of Boulder, for example, after their recent shooting uh, with an effort to do something in that state um, that could be hopefully replicated in some ways. I, I have hope in that, in, in the youth movement sort of looking at hope or hyper local and what they can do in their own um, schools, in their own uh, towns. I have hope in the fact that there were just these kids that we followed, which weren't only the Parkland kids, as you can you can see in the film, it becomes this very inclusive movement. 
with kids like Alex King in, in Chicago and Bria Smith in Milwaukee. Um, so I've, I've hoped that it's an inclusive movement that isn't just looking at you know kids from mass, mass shooting uh, tragedies, which really only make up 2% of gun deaths. And I think they became role models. I see hundreds and hundreds of kids around the country who sadly are really traumatized and it's young ones, they're like middle schoolers. But I think that they're becoming more engaged. They're looking at these older, up at these older kids as role models and they are making this issue a voting issue and they're not going away. They're pretty relentless. So there's, I guess that's where I see the hope. Yeah, um, so you know, I got a little bit of hope during uh, Parkland. Um, I knew I look if I'm being honest, I know that nothing was going to change because I know the the actual central problem, which is corruption. It, it, the gun violence is only a symptom of the cancer of corruption. But the reason I got hope, hopeful after Parkland was because the kids figured out instantly, right? Because it's actually fairly obvious. Because, for example, 97% of Americans want federal background checks, but we don't have federal background checks. Well, that means we don't really live in a democracy. We live in a completely corrupted form of government. And so, but the kids instantly knew it, and they instantly called out Marco Rubio and all the other politicians. And for a brief moment in mainstream media, for about a minute, we had a conversation about money and politics and corruption. And then, of course, mainstream media sucks, so they immediately went back to protecting politicians. So that's my take on it. So, and it's also correct. But Kim, if we're being honest about this, is this like you're never going to win on gun violence until you win on corruption first? Because they'll just be like, I don't care how many kids are massacred. I already voted no after Newtown. I voted no after Parkland. All I care about is the checks. That's what they, apparently the entirety of the Republican Party is saying. We got to be honest about that, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right that they they saw right through it very early on. Um, and I think the other thing that you know they understood or they have understood, I think Gen Z in general, that you can't talk about gun violence in a vacuum. You can't talk about it without talking about racial justice. And now the film. It, it feels more relevant to me a year later, um, you know, post COVID, post Black Lives Matter. Uh, you know, they put all these things together and um, they make those points really well in the film, I think. Um, but, I, but I think you're right. I'd really have nothing to uh, push back on your um, assessment of that. Yeah. So, Kim, let's talk about uh, why the film's important. Because you know, I'll butcher the Stalin quote, but you know, paraphrasing it, it says something along the lines of, you know, kill one person, it's a murder. You kill ten thousand, it's a statistic. Um, and so we now have endless massacres in America. Though I think two people got killed at the OK Corral. Uh, now it doesn't get reported when it's technically a massacre, which is a mass shooting is four dead in a shooting. But those aren't reported anymore. Now we're only reporting eight or ten dead, etc. Like so, but when you see it in those kids' actual lives in a movie, it goes back to becoming real in a sense. So, what did you gain out of that? Their personal stories, and what do you think the audience can gain from it? I think you're exactly right in that, especially now coupled with the pandemic. Where there's just we can't even begin to take in numbers, half a million, 
India. I mean, it's just it, nobody nobody can do it. But I, I do have a a kind of a, a a question I've been posing to a lot of young people in Zooms and and everywhere, which is with each of these shootings, I think whereas a lot of the adult population becomes more numb, more inured, I'm not sure that happens with especially high schoolers because they just seem to get more traumatized and more angry. They really don't have the luxury and that's what you see through the story of Sam. And I do think that is the power of breaking down these things to to, to learn about very specific young people and how it's affected their lives. But they become, you know, I talked to a young kid on Zoom the other day in Northern California and he said, no, after the last shooting, I just sat in, I sit in an algebra class and I just um, daydream, he used the word daydream about how the shooter's gonna come in, where I'll run, if I'll live through it. I mean, I certainly didn't daydream about those things in algebra class. I daydreamed a lot, but not about that. So I think that's why it's important. Um, Sam's story uh, is so, um, you know, she was shot four times with an AR-15 in her Holocaust studies class. Um, And she says in the film, you know, I don't feel whole if I'm not doing something about the fact that my friend was murdered next to to me. So it's a story about um, avenging the deaths of their friends that they feel can be prevented in the future. Uh, It's, you know, um, just a story about a generation of kids that, as you said in the beginning, just had these enormous anxieties. And you know, I had to go to and remind myself of how many people were killed in Las Vegas and wounded. It's like shocking that we don't even talk about it. You know, 60 people dead and 411 wounded. So it is. Um, I mean, we we we're all in shock that this just keeps going on and uh, not as you said, nothing happens. Um, yeah. But yeah, Kim, I, I want to come back to hope uh, again uh, here in the last minute um, because. The one thing that actually does give me hope is the younger generation. So my sense of it is, I've seen the polling, they're very progressive. So they're less likely to buy into Republican horse crap about how guns save us. It's absurd, absurd, right? But the second thing that I'm encouraged by, and that's why I wanna ask you about it, because you spent so much time documenting it and living with these folks and living and breathing this these issues. Uh, young people also seem like they know things better than adults. Like adults who grew up on TV and they got taught this totally fake version of reality where politicians are principled and they have real debates and they're not corrupt, etc. Whereas I feel like young people are like, yeah, none of that is true. It's obviously not true. So I'm hoping that when they get in charge that they don't tolerate this nonsense. What's your take on that? I think there's so as you, there's so much more savvy than I was about media. Um, there's the, the 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 kids that you meet in the film are so smart about how they get their information and you know how they uh, that that I, I do see hope in that and I see um, that they see through things and they also have the power of social media. And that's really different. They 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 know how to use it, and they they really don't care about you know mainstream media as much. So um, and they're, they you know they want to run for offices earlier. Uh, you know the, the the best line in the movie that sort of speaks to that is when X Gonzalez says at the end um, 
somebody asks her if the movement's sustainable and she says, "Oh, we have a lot more years than these guys are going to live. We have lots of time." So, you know, that's the math of it. And as you said, the a lot of the polls indicate that um, this issue, you know, we also hear Lucy McBath at the end of the film say, you know, I pray that you go to the polls and you make gun violence a top priority. So you see in the film that they 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 did show up in 2018 and the hope is they'll do it again in 22. All right, uh, Kim Snyder, director and producer of Us Kids. It comes out May 14th. It's very powerful, uh, please check it out. Kim, thank you for joining us, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, back on the conversation. We got two really interesting guests for you guys. They're survivors of the Parkland shooting down in Florida. Samantha Fuentes is an activist now, and Cameron Kasky, of course, was one of the co-founders of Never Again and March for Our Lives. Those are the the groups that, of course, rose up after that shooting in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Sammy and Cam, welcome to the program. For having us, yeah, no problem. So, Sam, um, I want to start with you. Uh, you guys are in a movie, Us Kids, is coming out on May 14th. And Sam, you couldn't join the original protest because you were in the hospital. Um, you got shot four times. No, I, I, no. Well, you got, but you got hit. Where did you get? Hit? Let me ask in the form of a question. Where did you get hit uh, when you got shot? Yeah, I was shot one time just above my left knee, and then I have multiple locations of shrapnel in both my legs, my arm, and my face. That's where I'm getting confused. Yeah, the shrapnel in your yeah. face and the <laughs> arms, right? Um, and so, did you think you were going to die, Sam? Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I, I look. You talk about it in the movie, uh, but I. For the purpose of the audience that haven't seen the movie, uh, how much does it traumatize you still to this day? Every single day, I think there's just new obstacles and new triggers that I figure out about myself when I progress further in my life. You know, I think there isn't really a single day that I don't think about that occasion, and I every day is just a new learning opportunity um, to adapt in a world that really doesn't care too much about. You know your mental health. So, mm-hmm. so Cam, you helped to co-found Never Again and March for Our Lives. So everybody was so hopeful at that moment. You know, they we had this horrible tragedy. Everybody's super depressed, and then you kids rise up out of this tragedy and fight back. And it was like one of the most amazing things we've seen. That's why it was. It wasn't just the tragedy because unfortunately we've had dozens, if not hundreds, of massacres. Right. And so we remember that because it was about the kids, but it was also because of your reaction. So, but this is a real earnest question. Now, this many years later, looking back on it, how do you feel about it? How do you think that it's made a difference? And how do you just, how do you feel about the politics of it, etc.? Well, I think the impact is definitely something that everybody is very happy about because really, especially in the beginning, all we cared about was making sure that the whole country was able to understand how preventable that tragedy was. There had been so many mass shootings at schools before that were all very different. The students were often very young. A lot of the mass shootings happened in public spaces that were not very small unified towns. But in Parkland, we were high schoolers. We had been talking about mass shootings. We discussed the shooting in Las Vegas 
in a class I was in where we had a class member who we unfortunately lost during the shooting. So we were high schoolers who had discussed the politics of this and suddenly it happens and we wanna get in front of the cameras and say, hey everyone, instead of filming a bunch of crying white moms, maybe we can let the kids tell you just how easy this was to stop. But right now, this very moment is a very complicated time for gun violence prevention activists because with Biden in the White House, the media does not want to aid us in demanding stronger gun reforms because whatever Joe Biden does is suddenly the right thing to do. When Donald Trump was the president calling for an assault weapons ban and saying that the measures that he was putting in place were not nearly enough was a very popular opinion. Now, if you're calling for an assault weapons ban, suddenly you're just an angry leftist who will never be happy with anything. So that's kind of the case across the board with activists in this time of the Biden era. Anything that their administration is willing to do is the popular thing. And if you ask for even a little bit more, more racial justice in the way we fight gun violence, more healthcare in the way we fight gun violence, because gun violence is obviously so rooted in racial issues and healthcare and policing. Well, now we're the bad guys because we're complaining too much and we aren't happy enough with all the great things President Biden is giving us. It's tough. And I think it was definitely, you know, you had a much easier time calling for changes when Trump was the president because everybody wanted to help you stick it to the old orange man. Yeah, Cam, you just said something super interesting. I mean, that's exactly why we were energized by your movement when it first started because you guys were saying things that adults found to be unacceptable. And and a lot of us thought, I can't curse, but hell yeah, right? And so tell me more about that because when you, it resonates with me when you say, "Oh, now you can't say anything against Biden." That that resonates completely because I do a news show where we actually do the actual news and not the BS news. So, but where do you get that reaction? How 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 do you feel that? Who are you getting that reaction from? Well, look, there is a lot of meaningful debate about guns on the left left because there are leftists who will go out and say, look, disarming the working class is a very bad thing. We need the working class to be able to defend themselves from the very many oppressive forces of the government that exist. And I understand people who say that kind of thing. I understand why you know, people in communities of color will say, why are you trying to disarm us when we are the enemy of the police and the police is targeting us? Now, of course, the natural response, especially in communities of color is, If you are armed and a police officer messes with you, they will use that as an excuse to do whatever they want instantly. But there's a lot of nuance to the gun debate on the left. Now, the you know the more you get to the center and the more you say, hey, Biden administration, both President Biden and Vice President Harris campaigned on assault weapons bans and much stronger reforms than this. You know, it's what everybody expected. Everybody knew after Biden got the nomination that if he won, if we were able to come together and defeat Donald Trump, then this was going to be four years of half measures and softballs from a policy perspective. And suddenly the we've got the president playing defense. And suddenly the left is the enemy and our job is to unite with the right. Now, if we had a president calling for unity between the center and the left, that would be a wonderful thing because I think there's a lot of great work to be done to unify the center and the left. But nope, all anybody cares about is unifying the center left, which is obviously becoming so much more like the center right and the right, which is becoming proto fascism, if not full fascism. First of all, hashtag truth. Uh, second of all, um, we we got to get more young people on the program because older people are so full of crap. 
and they grew up on brainwashed cable news pulp. Uh, whereas you guys are actually speaking things that are obviously true. So Sam, um, let's talk about the younger generation, right? So it, you know now you've got to interact because of this unique experience with so many others uh, that are in your generation, and unfortunately, so many others that have suffered. So what's your takeaway on on the future? Um, so the, the I think Cam is right about the present. <laughs> it sucks, and it's going to be very hard to change. But how about the future? Are you hopeful that the younger generation is just thinks completely differently than the older generation that might lead to change? Well, yes, I would say that I'm optimistic. Am I still cynical? Absolutely. You know, when it comes to the discussion of gun violence prevention, it feels like it comes in trends, unfortunately, and the trend is usually followed by a new shooting. However, I feel in regards to gun violence, the conversation is gearing towards probably three of the most important things, which um, is uh, culture, education, and legislation. Uh, culture in regards to how America tends to fetishize uh, violence, especially gun violence specifically, having more conversations on why we tend to uh, turn to violence rather to conversation. Education in regards to how to, you know, properly store a firearm or how to, you know, report community members who might be dangerous to themselves and others, um, you know, and legislation. We're talking more about finally universal background checks. We're talking about red flag laws, you know, in states across the nation. And so when it comes to hope, that comes from action. And when you see changes in regards to people's response to shootings, that's how you know that things are changing. Because now I think people are more apprehensive because they can, they are starting to associate those statistics with human lives. And that's really the hope of this film is that it sheds light on this generation that is unfortunately going to be affected by gun violence for who knows how long. And it, sheds light on this reality in hopes that it will connect with people and inspire them to want to do something and create some substantial change. And that's what people like myself and Cam are just fighting for. So we can live in an America that's safer and more fair for everybody. Sam, in the movie, when you talk about Nick and and you guys sing happy birthday to your classmate who died, it's impossible not to cry. and. And, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with this concept. Uh, and, and of course you shouldn't, and you all know that. But do you wind up having survivor's guilt? Uh, I certainly do, just because people like to frame me up so much as a survivor when considering where I was during the shooting, I could have comfortably mixed a margarita and been completely safe. I was well over 100 yards away from the violence. And look, I immediately after the shooting was saying, "Oh, I'm a survivor. I'm a mass shooting survivor, survivor, survivor." But there, you know, there were students, obviously, like Sam and so many others, who went through traumatic events that day. And I very often like to say that the most, you know, a lot of the trauma that Parkland students face was not so much the exact events of the shooting, but the horrific things that happened in the community afterwards. It was the media circus. It was the way everything was handled, and you know. Again, I think that there is a there was a very toxic side of the public conversation that would frame up myself and other activists as survivors of something that we were more 
nearby for because of the fetishization, a word that I always struggle getting out, uh, the fetishization of white pain in this country. You know, when white kids are suffering and crying, uh, the media will jump at it. And the, you know, the wider audiences can really bank on that kind of thing. So people like me who were not facing the violence in any real way, were you know they, they, they were put they were trying to get as much pain out of us as possible because that was the fuel of the mass shooting media circuit and that's been the case since you know before even Columbine it's all white kids crying and feeling pain so let's try to extract as much trauma as we can out of students even when they were like I was safe yeah well and then do nothing about it which is what is the nothing about it. That's right. the given. That's the given here is doing nothing about it. That applies to every issue. Yeah, and look, and your hundred yards is not that far from it. But I understand exactly what you're saying. But Sam, look, last thing. The reason I brought up survivors guilt is because it seems like if you have it, you guys are trying to make something positive out of it. And 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 Sam, if you wind up getting some of this legislation passed. The federal background checks are so weak that that doesn't, it's like it's not anywhere near good enough. But if you get an assault weapons ban or something along those lines, does it at least feel like, hey, at least we did something with our pain? Absolutely. You know, this is what they would have wanted, you know, to for me to turn my trauma into power, you know, to really take the reins onto something and see it go into fruition. Um, I, I, there isn't a day that goes by where I wonder why it wasn't me instead of them, you know. And so, to feel less less guilty, I suppose this is what I do to heal, to work. Um, and it's just because I would never want anyone to have to experience that suffering and that pain ever again. And you know, that's why we say never again because that kind of uh, pain is so long lasting. One. Quick moment, one decisive move changes an entire generation, entire livelihood of one person, of one community, of one state. And people don't understand the long lasting effects. And that's why we fight so hard because gun violence shouldn't be an issue for anybody, especially for the for the young and the defenseless. And and to go back to what Cameron was saying is that, you know, we absolutely infantilize and absolutely fetishize you know, mass shootings, but when it comes to, you know, black and brown bodies on the floor, it's where they're demonized as being savages and being a part of their own culture that they're hurting themselves. But it's all violence at the end of the day, and it all needs to come to an end. And films like this offer visibility, offers representation in, in times where the media absolutely turns their backs on people who are affected by gun violence every single day, not in just specific really, really small percentages like myself who've experienced gun violence. We need to start talking about every single day gun violence. We need to start talking about police brutality. We need to start talking about suicides. We need to start talking about everything instead of just letting it slide by and then wonder why it keeps happening. Because it angers me to no end. I have more words than anger, that's for sure. But yeah. it needs to come to an end. Well, it should anger you. Uh, and uh, so, look, uh, we gotta go. But um, number one, your point about violence is so true. Uh, and society, our society, usually, after committing the violence, says those people only understand violence. 
after committing it, right? And so that's that's usually how it goes. And look, obviously you have nothing to feel guilty about, you know that. Logically, you know that. I know that emotionally it feels different. But you know, Sam, the, the other part that made me tear up in the movie was when you were talking about your friend who had died, I thought, you know, you got shot and and if you had died, they would have forgotten about you. Your friends wouldn't have, right? But the government would have, the people in charge would have. And it just reminded me again and again how callous our government has become and our society has become. And so the fact that you guys are still fighting and not letting us forget about what happened there and the people you lost. I tell you from my perspective, I can't thank you enough. So Samantha Fuentes, Cameron Kasky, thank you guys, appreciate it. Thank you, Jenk.